Welcome to the Lindsay Hadley Podcast Show. I'm coming to you from the North Shore of Oahu, where weekly I interview some of the world's most inspiring people from business, philanthropy, and entertainment. I love collecting humans, and these are some of my favorites I've found along the way. This podcast is brought to us by Capita Financial Network. Do you need help with the next steps of your financial plan? Think Capita. Capita is a financial network built around you. They have a team of financial advisors, CPAs, estate attorneys, Medicare providers, and social security experts to help you accomplish your financial goals. Call or schedule a complimentary consultation at 801-566-5058 or visit their website at capitafinancialnetwork.com. You can also check out their financial education podcast, The Financial Call, available on Apple, Google, Spotify, and YouTube. Hi, welcome to the Lindsay Hadley Podcast Show brought to us by Capita Financial Network. We're so thrilled to have Naveed Alapur on our show today. And Naveed, thank you so much for joining us. You're in San Diego. Is that right? How's it all going there? Uh, I am in San Diego. Thank you for having me, Lindsay. I'm excited to, to be on your podcast. Thank you so much, Naveed. I'm so excited for you to talk a little bit about the world of AI. And today you're going to be talking about, you've been, like, as you said, you've been talking about this and addressing this issue way before it's become an idea as time has come, right? How long have you been in this space? And maybe start with giving us a little background of maybe your career and what led you into the trajectory where you are today and being a sector leader. Sure. No, absolutely. Happy to address that, Lindsay. So, uh, my background, I, uh, I, I joke that, you know, my wife and I are are the black sheep of the family in the sense that we're not doctors, but my father's a retired doctor, both my brothers, her dad, her stepdad, her sister. So healthcare is in our blood, but we went the law and business route. Um, now we had started our VC fund analytics ventures to invest here in San Diego in existing technologies that are using AI applications to make a better prediction, recommendation, forecast, detect anomalies uh, that don't belong because that could bring efficiency, save money or increase revenues. And um, you know that's how we met the scientists, literally rocket scientists that had done work for NASA um, that we ended up starting CureMetrics with, which is our first AI company. Um, and we started it back in 2014 before it was in the news every day as it is right now. Wow, so 2014. And at that point, when you first started, you're, so you're working with the world's greatest minds in this space, and you you go into this venture. Did you have the criticisms that we're seeing now? Now that people are like using Chat GPT and it's out to the public, and they're getting their minds around the astronomical influence that this AI is going to have on the world and impact the sector. You're using it in these medical applications. I'm so excited to talk about. But did you get people pushing back on the ethics of it? you know, world domination, are we going to be taken over in humanity? Did you, or is that only more recent as people are becoming more aware in the purview of it? Well, I mean, it, definitely it's more in the news now. You you have people like Elon Musk, which I admire what he's built. He's, an, uh, you, you know, mm-hmm. built some amazing companies and obviously is incredibly successful. Um, but, and you know, he, he, whether he needs to be in the news cycle every day or he can't help himself, right? But uh, making <laughs> statements, uh, you know, robots and AI is going to take over the world. Um, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm in the middle, right? There's the people that are doom and gloom and, oh my God, we're all done for. Um, and then there's the, you know, others that say that's all bogus. I think there are certain risks, um, but, you know, we're not anywhere near, in my opinion, um, you know, the robots taking over and especially in healthcare. 
at the end of the day, you have to, I like to say, marry the human intelligence with the artificial intelligence. So the HI and the AI together to help deliver better care. Uh, at the end of the day, no one wants a robot to tell them you have cancer. They want a human doctor to put their arm over their shoulders and tell them, hey, you know, this is a bad place to be. This is what you got, but here's what we're going to do. And, you know, we got this and, you know, we're going to fight this to the best of our ability. Um, and so I think it's very different to say, use chat GPT to write a LinkedIn post or to, you know, I've heard of a real estate agent using it this way or that way. But when you get to healthcare, um, healthcare is regulated and deservedly so because, um, it it impacts our bodies and and you know bad decisions. So you have to have the human uh, on the loop. So that's where I like to say, uh, is a human in the loop? They're needed one hundred percent. There's no AI. Is a human outside the loop? The human's not needed at all. Um, let's say if it's a, like a driverless car, the human's outside the loop. But a human on the loop, um, their AI is doing what it does to let's say detect breast cancer earlier, like we do, or heart disease earlier or recommend the best combination of drugs, but there's a human that is overseeing that still. Uh, so it becomes a tool to empower the doctors to deliver better care. Um, and, and that's where we like to say, you know, AI is not going to replace the doctor, but the doctor using AI will replace the doctor that is not. Oh, that's a beautiful way to say it. And so helpful. Um, so Navid is the CEO of AI um, Med Global. What are the umbrella or suite of services, utility companies that you're that you guys have sure. under under your guys, you know, network? Yeah, no, happy to talk about it. So AI Med Global, if you go to the website, AIMedglobal.com, it would drive you to then curemetrics.com and curematch.com. So AI Med Global is our call it DBA name, doing business as a name, to talk about these two digital health companies that we started. They're separate Delaware C Corps because they kind of have different missions. Although there's cer certainly been the argument to put them together and we're exploring some, some, some options on that front uh, to see if we could move things faster, potentially if they combine into you know, one entity. But on the cure metric side, or let me take it a step back. If we're all going to live longer um, outside of, of course, exercising and eating well and sleeping and taking supplements and all that amazing stuff that increasingly is being called wellness science, um, at the end of the day, Cancer and heart disease are still the top two causes of mortality. So to find it, you have to detect better, treat better, and monitor better, right? So oh, detection yeah. is at the forefront. Um, and that could be, you know, of course, you know, doing blood work or mammogram or uh, cologuard for colon cancer and a host of other things to detect earlier. And that's where we come in specifically on our women's health suite with CureMetrics, where our AI software detects breast cancer from a mammogram up to six years earlier so earlier wow. than anyone else yeah it's, and it's pretty amazing we in fact we were the first company in history to get uh fda clearance it's software but it's considered a diagnostic so uh, you have to go through the fda to get that cleared so we're the first company in history in 2019 to get a clearance for an ai product uh you know in regards to breast cancer detection um and what it was and our here, you know, small team of twenty people on the CureMetrics side did this. We're we're not in Silicon Valley. We don't have, you know, three hundred people, um, and and we were able to do that before anyone else. Um, and then uh, what we also can do, not to take away from breast cancer, but from the same mammogram, we can also detect heart disease in women. 
by detecting and scoring what's called breast arterial calcification. So calcification builds up in all our bodies um, as we get older, some faster though. And so if you can detect the calcification building up in the arteries and capillaries of the breast tissue from the mammogram, then you've got a two for one. You're already getting that mammogram. It's not comfortable. You're already getting that radiation exposure, although minimal, but for no extra discomfort, no extra radiation, you can also detect if that woman has heart disease developing Hi. early on. And that's a lifesaver. I mean, if you can get that's that woman incredible. to- it's it, it, it's huge. It's um, yeah. It's because you know heart disease is called the silent killer amongst women, because uh, with men we detect we have symptoms. We have chest pain, shortness of breath. You go to the doctor. They you know tell you to exercise and eat better, and and hopefully it, it doesn't need a surgery. And they say here get on a statin, right? That statin medication alone reduces the risk of a cardiac event fifty to sixty percent. So if women are asymptomatic and 65% die on that first heart attack, because they never knew, and you know, Lisa Marie Presley died in 54, right? And I, you know, I know another story, not, not a famous person or a public person, but this person was an incredible athlete and she died at 58 uh, from a heart attack. Now imagine if on a mammogram in their 40s, um, they might not be a triathlete, but they eat well, they exercise, they're in decent shape. Uh, they don't know of any known heart disease in the family, but they say, hey, we detected breast arterial calc. You should go see a cardiologist. Now the cardiologist will do an EKG, do a stress test, do a blood uh, panel, lipid panel to check cholesterol and all that, and then get them on a statin at 42, 45, whatever age they go in for that mammogram. And you just eliminated a heart attack that could have happened or delayed it significantly. Wow. Um, and not to mention the cost savings to the healthcare system are massive. Uh, a statin costs nothing. Um, getting an EKG, a stress test, sure, it, there's a uh, cost to it, but it's nothing compared to a heart attack happening. And, uh, you know, the average heart attack from the moment the paramedics show up to whatever the end result, it's over $100,000 to the system. So, 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 I mean, this is so cool because you talk about this preventative medicine, this wellness sp- space. And the fact that women have to go in for these um, routine, you know, procedures and that you can actually get a better insight of what's going on in the body. Like, I mean, why is this not everywhere? What is it going to take for you guys to get this in every single practice in America and in the world? Like, what what, what do you need from the public? And how, this is so stunning. I mean, how is this not immediately implied? Like, you know, is this resource driven or policy driven or what can we do? Great question. I'm glad you asked it. And, um, you know, there is a saying that, you know, the law is always going to be behind technology, you know, whether that's healthcare or that's cryptocurrencies that came out and then got regular, you know, then the laws caught up. So the law is always going to be behind technology. And the fact is within healthcare, you know, it's not just a software we developed to help, let's say, a restaurant sell more or or ad tech company, right, where there's, you know, no regulatory bodies. We right. have the FDA, we have the American Medical Association, and, and rightfully so. And so we we have to, you know, on the cure metric side, we have to get FDA clearance, uh, even though it's software, um, to then legally sell it. And so we have that on one of our breast cancer products, right? The first one that we got in 2019, this heart disease detection one, we literally have been uh, uh, just a few weeks ago. Uh, you know, we're having conversations I can't fully disclose, of course, with FDA, but 
um, it's, you know, it, we got a green light in, in regards to them doing our submission. And so we're in process of doing what's called a 510K. And so you knock on wood, we should have our clearance in the next few months. And then it's, we want to, you know, scream from the mountaintops what we can do to get this technology out there in the hands of imaging centers, hospitals, radiologists, um, to then be able to uh, use this in the care of their patients. Um, so I think that's where we're kind of flying the plane simultaneously is working, of course, on getting that clearance while simultaneously, of course, um, trying to publicize uh, and thank you for you know giving this, uh, this opportunity on your podcast so more people know about us to ask their doctors and uh, be ready for what this is. And then, of course, resources. Yeah, at the end of the day, we're a startup. Uh, we uh, are, you know, in, we live off investment until, of course, the company can survive off cash flow. Um, and so we are in, in process of, uh, you know, as most startups are of, uh, of uh, you know, raising capital to continue what we're doing. That's so incredible. So I, you hear this a lot. You see like, you know, the average person sees, I don't know, a commercial in the middle of television, say, ask your doctor about whatever yep. the, you know, medical uh, prescription generally those are big pharma ads generally pharma, yeah. is it the same thing then for technology for i've never even thought of that maybe like you're blowing my mind like i can say hey i understand there's a new intervention i understand there's a new technology i'd like access to that like you can have it on a demand signal well, i mean a hundred percent that's something where of course uh we have to get the fda clearance and then to have the resources to spend money like the pharma companies to have a TV commercial. Um, obviously those <laughs> yeah. cost more, there's other ways, but you're, you got it right, Lindsay. It's, it's that we need, you know, they put those commercials on cause they want you to then go ask your doctor about your know, drug X, Y, Z. Um, so that's the same here. We would want, I, I like to say, um, if I'm in, if I owned an imaging center, I would want our technology because I would, you know, the analogy I use is say, we're the salad dressing to your salad. So come, come to our, you know, they sell more salad by having us is dressing. And so um, that's where an imaging center can say, come to our center instead of the one across town, because we have this cure metrics technology that detects breast cancer better and also detects heart disease. No one else has that. Right. And so that's your, so absolutely. We, you know, we have to constantly be, um, you know, flying these different planes, so to speak. Um, and, and I, our whole team is moving with an urgency, even if we, you know, move things one day faster. That's someone that is going to benefit. Um, that's so cool. And then on the cure match side, so we have cure metrics and then cure match. Um, and so cure match, it's uh, for any patient that has cancer. Uh, so as the oncologist say, it's pan cancer, man, woman, or child, not just woman's health and breast cancer. And so the premise there, and we started this company with an amazing lady by the name of Dr. Rizal Kurzrock, that's K-U-R-Z-R-O-C-K for your listeners. Um, if you Google her, you'll find a ton of content, a world-renowned oncologist, one of the top in the world, 800, 900 publications. And so her premise, being Canadian by birth, she always says, cancer is like a snowflake. No two snowflakes ever, ever look the same. No mm. two cancers ever look the same. So we identify cancer by the part of the body it's found in, in you know, lung, stomach, liver, breast, prostate. But really, it should be identified by the molecular makeup. So you could have a cancer in the lung that is very mm. similar to the cancer that was found in the stomach. And so that's where 
a drug like Merck's Keytruda, which is a great uh, cancer drug. Initially, it was meant for lung cancer, but we started seeing it pop up in our report for stomach cancer, cancers and other cancers that were of molecularly similar type. So that's where if a doctor wants to recommend a two or three drug combination for a cancer patient, what we do at CureMatch, we take as our input what's called the NGS panel, which stands for next generation sequencing. So it's lab work from the biopsy. That So we're software 100%. We, we don't do the lab work. We don't want to do the lab work. But that information comes to us, whether they enter it on our secure portal or they send us the PDF of the lab work. And based on that patient's, I, I say that lab work is like the 23andMe of that patient-specific cancer. Wow. And it says yeah. exactly the makeup of the cancer molecularly. And so we'll say, based on this patient's specific cancer, that there's no other kind in the world that is like this person's, and all the drugs available, here's the three drug, two drug, one drug combination that will have the best impact in fighting this cancer. And so then that report that we produce goes in the hands of the oncologist to help determine that treatment. Um, and so we're not doing, we're not the one doing, the, they're the doctor, they decide ultimately what to administer, but we have had oncologists tell us that I would have never thought of that. And we have, if you, if you go to our website, we have, you know, famous doctors like Dr. John Link in Newport Beach, who all he focuses on is breast cancer. And he has said, cure match has changed my therapy decisions. And so wow. that's where we, again, can help fight cancer as early as possible with the best treatment possible so that they're ideally, of course, cured uh, or at a minimum, they end up living much longer. Um, and again, as the oncologists say, to increase the overall survival or uh, increase the progression-free survival. Wow. So Naveed, it, it, so I have a, a dear friend, someone I really love and admire who's currently stage four cancer. Um, mm. I'm sorry to hear that. Oh, thank you so much. It, it's, it's heart-wrenching. She's the most magical person. Is it too late at stage four to, to, to work with your technology? Can it still inform better protocol or is it only for, for the prevention side? It's, it's not too late. It's okay. never too late. The, the cure metrics technology is on the detection side. The cure match technology is on fighting that cancer now, okay. right? So yes. of course the best, I would love it if every cancer patient before they had anything administered to them, any chemo, any immunotherapy, any radiation, they would get their NGS panel, their sequencing done. So they asked their doctor to get that biopsy sequence. And then they would use us um, to get their cure match report and then get treatment administered. That's going to be best for them. Um, and, and so stage four is, of course, much more serious than stage one. But we've had patients that literally were on their deathbed two weeks with only two weeks left that um, you know, ended up living nine months longer. Oh, wow. And ultimately, they, you know, I'm thinking of a specific patient that did pass, and he was a Vietnam vet. He had other ailments. They got to us really late, but he went from two weeks to live to living nine quality months, relatively. And, you know, we had his family member, you know, writing us a letter, you know, thank you for nine more months of, uh, you know, with the grandkids and watching the sunset and, and so forth. And so that, that's what drives us wow. and, and what we do. And, and, uh, 
and it's personal for uh, many of us on the team because cancer, sadly, if that hasn't touched people personally, it's touched their spouse, their brother, sister, mother, father, dear friend, right? So We've all lost people. Yes. I've had family members pass very young and you it's bewildering because you feel like with it being such a commonplace ailment and affliction in this world, why why do we not have better stuff? And like here you are offering this premier technology. And I'm like, what do we do? This is yeah, this is like almost painful. I bet it's almost frustrating for you to sit back and be like, I have intervention. Why is this not out there immediately? Well, it, it is, you know, we try not to get bogged down in the frustrations of, you know, getting new technologies out there and, you know, working within existing systems. I mean, in the U.S., oncologists make money off administering chemotherapy. Mm. Um, this, you know, some would argue this should not happen, right? Um, because it's in their interest to sell that chemotherapy, right? Now, mm. we don't come at it from that perspective because chemotherapy oftentimes, it, it's, it is what's needed. But we're, so we're, but when you come into, you know, with new technology, um, you're always going to have to, there's, you know, there's always going to be people that are going to question it, right? And so one of the ways we really address that, so we, uh, just like on the CureMetric side, we got the first FDA clearance in history for our breast cancer AI on CureMatch. I'm happy to say in early January, it was announced by the American Medical Association that we got a CPT code from the AMA, they're the organizational body that gives those. So we're the first company in history in a new category they created called augmentative intelligence. And we got a CPT code uh, granted to us that goes live on July 1st, meaning that now oncologists can bill insurance for using CureMatch. And so it's gonna, it has helped with that clinical validity, right? Before um, we didn't have that so some oncologists that are forward thinking would use us other ones uh would uh you know nod or question it but now that we have that clearance by this governing body we were in front of the pathology caucus the american medical association and you had letters of support sent in from top oncologists from johns hopkins and morris cancer center and md anderson and and um and others saying cure matches changed my therapy decisions that that's got us to this point where it's gotten rid of a lot of the, the hesitation. Um, fabulous. Of, you know, what is this new technology? And and I I, yeah, I have the utmost respect for doctors. They're like I said, all my family are doctors. Um, and so we're not here to say we're here. We're not here to replace the doctor. We're no, here no. to give them another tool uh, to to help combat cancer and deliver better care. So, are there specific clinics? Or like, so for example, with my friend, as an example, she's based here in Oahu. Her oncologists are like based, she has some team from San Francisco where she first, cause she had cancer, went into remission. Now it's come out of remission. So she's battling it here in Oahu. Um, is there, do we, is, how can she get access to this to see if they do the cure match? Like, is that something Absolutely. that, can we go to a special clinic? Do you guys have, well, you know, well, service providers we can access? Absolutely. So what I would say is, you know, let's of course sync up off the podcast, but all we would need is once we're introduced to your friend that has cancer um, and their oncologist, um, we would have them enter on our secure portal, her lab work, her next gen sequencing lab work. Yeah. And we get that and we can literally turn around our report in two to three days. Oh my gosh. So it's remote. That... She doesn't have to go anywhere. No, totally. Oh my no, gosh. No, she doesn't have to go anywhere. 
So we get that back to her and her oncologist, of course, to, to the, I mean, with the 21st Century Cures Act, I mean, we all have a right to access our own health information, right? Whether it's our report or an x-ray or mammogram or blood work. So, but it, it's, it's Greek to anyone who's not an oncologist. Right, reading, right. But, yes. but the important thing is to get that in the hand of the oncologist um, and for them to see then, you know, based on the treatment she's getting now and what our report says, what changes potentially to make. Amazing. Um, and so that's something, you know, we could we'll do that do very quickly. Incredible. I'm so uh, glad to know about this. So then does the doctor bill, like how does the, I'm getting in the granular details, but just like understanding if listeners hear and go, I have a loved one. I want the same access. Yep. Does they, so they tell their oncologist, they link up with you guys. They say, I want this service. Um, right. And then does your doctor then try to bill it through insurance? Is it an additional fee? Like how does that work? <laughs> No, good, good question. So we we did get the CPT code that goes live July first. Cool. Um, it's uh, however until then, of course, it's not live. Uh, our we charge fifteen hundred dollars for our report, so one thousand five hundred dollars for our report. Um, right now, it's out of pocket. Once insurance covers it, then some insurances will cover it, some will not. So, um, of course, just like anyone's insurance, some things are covered, some are not. Um, but it'll get to the point where they can offer it to the patient to say, we can bill your insurance for this. And if they don't cover it, it's out of pocket. Do you want to do it? Yeah. And, and at the end of the day, would. it's nothing to our $1,500. Exactly. It's, I mean, the lab work alone, it, you know, that the labs charge, you know, yeah. a couple of thousand dollars and insurance covers many insurances are covering that now, not all, um, or at least part of it. Um, so we're a small part of the cost. Uh, right. And at the end of the day, people spend more on their pets, right? Totally. And, um, totally. and so 1500 is, some have said they thought our price was too low, but if anything, we want to drive our price lower as we do higher volume. Uh, we don't want the price to go up. We want the price to yeah. go down. Yeah. I mean, I think it's incredibly affordable and you're looking at life. I mean, there's no price on someone's life that you love. Like that's just, but I love that you're trying to make it low. So there's more access. What are your thoughts about your company in terms of entering into the developed world? Have you worked with philanthropists of saying, oh my gosh, this, you know, because you can move, there's a quicker speed of access sometimes in the developed world because it's not as regulated and the technology can get right. to those on the front well, lines. Well, no, that's a very insightful question, Lindsay. And um, the fact is a lot of our investors are very mission driven, whether there were the institutional VC investors or hedge fund investors or family offices or individuals that they lost a loved one to cancer or they, they want to make money, but they want to do good too. So we have a lot of uh, folks that are, you know, very mission driven and, and we do want to work with nonprofit organizations uh, worldwide um, to help get our technology out there. And there are certain parts of the world that, um, you know, they're trying to build these medical tourism centers and they want people to come there for care. So they want, they're using us to attract patients to their centers to say, hey, come here and you will get better care. Um, you know, something that's a little frustrating in the U.S., I'll share this. So uh, there's an oncologist uh, that shared this with us that, um, you know, this oncologist gets a lot of patients from internationally, from Latin America or Europe or Middle East or Asia that come to the U.S. for cancer care. Now, they pay all cash for everything, right? They don't have U.S. health insurance. So they're better to do individuals that are coming from, let's say, China, um, and, that, and, and they pay cash for everything, including their the drugs, the treatment. So the cash price for 
uh, oncology drugs, it's much lower price than the price that's built in insurance if you're a US-based patient. And so they can get anything because they're paying cash for it. And the oncologists charge a 6% markup. So they make their profit on that. And so it goes much faster for international patients sometimes that come to the U.S., which is frustrating, you know, you know, for someone, for all of us, it should be frustrating because we live here, but that's part of the regulatory, you know, healthcare ecosystem we're in. Whereas if a patient is in the U.S., um, if our report recommends an off-label treatment, right. then they have to, then the oncologist and there's services that are, you know, pharmacologists that will, you know, work to get that off-label drug covered. And it oftentimes, it, you know, it works here in San Diego at Morse Cancer Center, you know, where they do off-label treatments. They, um, they're, you know, people that help get the treatment get, you know, 95% of off-label drugs covered, I think, wow. from the last I heard. But wow. it's still a frustration that we have to go through this as opposed to right. an international patient come pay cash price, get it immediately for whatever cancer they have. Um, and so that's the nature of the beast. But it, it, to your initial question, uh, yeah, we absolutely can do international business. Um, cancer doesn't know borders or boundaries. So we've had cancer patients and oncologists, you know, from Canada to Poland, to Germany, to Israel, to Turkey, to Asia, to Africa, um, that we've helped. Gosh, that's so stunning. And I, and I love that you've heard these stories back from from patients who have had these incredible outcomes. Um, do you know what your statistics are right now in terms of early intervention, life saved? Like, do you have those metrics pretty solidly or is it still kind of something you're ongoingly, I'm sure you're measuring and it's hard to even understand the full measure because you're constantly finding out what the trajectory of those outcomes are? So, again, a great question. And that's harder for us to do because you know, we don't, at the end of the day, we're not the one taking care of the patient, right? We produce our right. report and goes in the hands of the oncologist. So unless, so we have these anecdotal stories where whether the patients or the oncologists, you know, to tell us or share with us, um, but uh, we, we don't have, we don't track that information because, you know, oncologists don't have enough hours in the day. So they're not coming back to us with every patient saying, Hey, guess what? That patient you cure matched, you know, a year and a half ago is cancer free or, they were supposed to only live six months. They're a year and a half later, they're still around. So we're trying to, you know, track these case studies and trying to work with the insurance companies and the self-insured companies, frankly, that have that information. Um, and so that we could publicize that better. Um, yeah. But it's easier said than done. Dang, <laughs> I know, because that would be such a virtuous cycle if you could get that information easily. It would, it would. I, we just had, uh, off the top of my head, it was a patient in Israel that found us last week paid us. We got the information we needed, the lab work, we cure matched them, sent it back. And we you know, found out today that you know, they ended up making a different decision based on the information we provided that otherwise they would not have. Wow. Um, that's, and so that's, amazing. that's where like that, you know, literally that hit, you know, my email this morning and so it's fresh off the top of my head, but that's what drives us when we hear that we made an impact right. in someone's care. So rewarding. Um, that otherwise would have had another treatment. And yeah. um, it, it, it's, it's really sad. Uh, one story I'll share here, uh, talk about these anecdotal, anecdotal stories. Um, one of our employees, her mother sadly passed away in 2016 from cancer. Uh, we didn't know her. She didn't work for us at the time. 
And so she had the idea, and this this is on our website. We ended up doing a publication on this, I think, on CureMatch, um, where she said, what if we do a CureMatch report on my deceased mother's, uh, it was a foundation medicine panel. So foundation medicine is a company that was acquired by Roche, the big pharma company, and they produce this next-gen sequencing. Uh, they're one of the many companies that do this, but they're one of the larger ones. And so let, let's cure match the foundation medicine lab panel to see what cure match would have recommended. We found the drugs that her mother was administered only had an 11% efficacy, whereas the treatment that our report recommended had a 44% efficacy, so 400% better response. Now, that doesn't mean that she would have been cancer-free necessarily, but she would have definitely lived much longer. And she would have definitely had, you know, not had those toxic side effects for nothing, right? Uh, side effects I've never heard of, like her eyelashes growing into her eyeballs. Um, and all for 11% efficacy, um, you know, that's, that's horrible. And so that's where we can make an impact by saying, before you, and, and this is where I'm a big advocate for second opinions, whether it's for cancer or heart disease. Absolutely. Or, if you want to get a surgery on your back or your leg or anything serious, get a second opinion, um, advocate for yourself, advocate for your loved ones. Um, and we know so many stories where, you know, patient went to an esteemed healthcare system uh, back East, had breast cancer. The doctor said surgery and radiation. Um, she went and got a second opinion. From another esteemed institution, an oncologist that said surgery, yes, radiation, absolutely not. And she goes to the first doctor who said, nope, if you want me to take care of you, we do surgery and radiation. Most people would have stopped right there. Most people would have not even got the second opinion. This person, to her credit, went to a third doctor, now at the same institute as the first doctor, who agreed with the second one that said surgery only. And so, and he said, I'll take care of you. So she got just surgery and was able to avoid having radiation. Wow. Now, this is huge. This is going to add years to her life. Radiation causes many other issues. And of course, it fights the cancer in many cases and is needed, uh, but it, it affects your heart later on in life. And other there's other cancers and issues. So if you could avoid it and it's not necessary, you, you know, keep that in your toolbox for God forbid when a cancer comes back and, and you know, use it Use it if it's needed, but that's where, again, if, if the, your listeners take one thing away, whether they have it's a cancer or heart disease or anything else, get a second opinion Yes, and advocate for yourself. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, and doctors are, are wonderful people to go into the profession. They do, but there's good ones, less good ones, and people are people and human uh, and, and mistakes can be made. So yeah. get a second opinion. You know, it's so interesting because we just lived through a global pandemic, first one in our generation. And it's like, I just noticed there, you know, we're in this really divisive place in our culture. I would just say the general zeitgeist in media and stuff is like question yeah. of authority, right? And we don't trust our news sources anymore. We don't trust our academic. Uh, in, when I say this, I'm saying in general, there's this this motif of distrust. And we saw this with the medical professionals as they were saying, here's the best way to move forward through this. And people were questioning and you talk about this advocating for yourself. I personally live, have lived through this tension where my default, just full disclosure is to, to refer to the experts. Like I just, I'm like, gosh, you have all the training and all the expertise. I don't know what I'm doing here. Here you go. 
here's my life or here's the decisions. But then as we've watched that there was a, there's just a lot of, because of social media and exposure, there's a lot of misinformation and people are also, they're starting to say, Hey, you said this and it didn't come to pass. Like there, it's not without warrant. Like I, I can't just, I'm a political moderate. I can't just dismiss all my friends that were right. in a certain position because they had, they had lived experience and, and anecdotal evidence and other things. Hopefully that's where we can look to like just data and it gets out of, you know, it gets out of this emotional party politics or how you feel about things or who it's coming from. And it's like, this is just data. It's information and it, black and white numbers can't lie, you know, but then we've seen people twist data to, for their own divisive ends. How do you feel like AI in this world might help with some of this? Um, perpetuating this kind of divisive culture we're in. Yeah. Wow. Lindsay, you, you just, I think we, we could talk for <laughs> you know hours on your question. one question here and, and we can get into, you know, not to get into the politics of things. Right. Um, but, uh, and, and I think I'm like you, I'm, you know, while I'm, I, I tend to be fiscally conservative, uh, on pretty much everything else, I'm moderate yeah. right? in my views. I'm not hard right or hard left yeah. and, and, you know, the extremes. Um, and I think we're in an environment where um, there is, you know, everyone's an expert, right? Everyone's an expert on social media. Totally. Everyone, everyone wants to drop knowledge. Because so, they have a soapbox. Right. Exactly. And, 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 you know, you have then, you know, the, you know, news that comes out that's inaccurate. And when news comes out that's inaccurate, that, you know, people lose trust, right? Yeah, and, Wade's and, trust, and, totally. And and so now you, yes, there's AI and there's AI that could be used for bad or for good. Um, I, you know, what I always say when people ask about artificial intelligence, is it evil, is it this? I say, look, it's it's a tool. It's going to be used for good and bad. And our job is to mitigate the bad effects, right? It's like the, the, the horse is out of the stable. You're not totally. going to put it back in, right? And it's like I like to go to the example of the automobile, right? When when the the automobile was invented, there were people that said, you know, what's going to happen to you know the people that care take care of the horses and the horse buggies and horseshoes are going to lose their jobs and uh, look, it's going to cause all this pollution and and yes, all of that happened and all that people die from car accidents, uh, it causes pollution. Um, but at the end of the day, as a civilization we are much farther along because of the automobile than without it. And the car is not evil. It is, it, it is used for good. And it sometimes it causes accidents. Uh, and other times it's actually used to make cause an accident and hurt people. And that's sad. Um, and AI is the same. It's a tool. It, you know, and, and who's using it and is it for good or bad is what we have to focus on. Um, and so I absolutely think that, uh, there are bad actors out there, um, and our job is to mitigate those risks. But um, it, you know, it doesn't mean that it won't be used for bad. And I think we just have to be mindful and just more aware um, and uh, question things when they seem out of place. And, and the fact is that um, you know it's been in the news recently to let's hit pause. The government should mandate that every, you know all companies hit pause on developments in artificial intelligence well i don't agree with that one bit because one it's impossible totally to say all companies in the in the u.s stop working on ai developments like how are you going to do that no yeah and two let's for argument's sake assume it could be regulated and 
they could make every company large and small from Google and Microsoft to, you know, two people in their garage with, you know, computer scientists working on something. Let's assume you could make everyone stop. Do you think the Chinese are going to stop or the Russians or even our friends in the UK or Israel or elsewhere? No, they're not going to stop. And if we stop, we're going to become a third world country and, you know, others will innovate way past us. We can't stop, even if there was a way to, to, to do that. So, the, the, you know, again, horses out of the stable. We just have to, um, you know, now help, you know, maintain uh, the, again, the good and, you know, help mitigate against the bad actors. And and I think whole new categories of jobs, by the way, will be created that um, we can't even fathom. So, you know, there's now a PhD in AI ethics someone can go get and let's say every factory that's producing a robot or a car that's driverless uh, needs to have someone that has a PhD in AI ethics. Well, that's probably going to be a pretty high paying job. Yeah. That's really cool. That, that, that that's, I mean, to realize that'll be, that'll be such an important part of the human component is to say, how is this being used in a way that is morally not bankrupt? I mean, I think that in the C-suite of every large company, there should be a chief AI officer. Yeah. That's going to be an entirely new category, right? Um, There should be a board member on every company that has some background in AI. Um, And and these people, they don't have to be data scientists. They have to know how the tool can be used. So I'm not a computer scientist, right? I come at it from a strategy and business side um, on how can it be used to predict, to recommend, to forecast, to detect, to increase revenues, to decrease costs, to help save lives, and et cetera, and so forth. And and also, how can we uh, protect ourselves from bad actors that might use AI to harm our company, our country, our you know business, and and, and so forth? This is so helpful, uh, Navid. Would, would you recommend any resources, or podcasts, or books, or? websites or tools to get more educated in this space, just in general, in the utility of AI, that where it's going, anything like that that you've just seen, but being at the front lines of this sector first since the, you know, the early, or, you know, 2014, I'm sure you were before you launched, you know, a decade oh, into yeah. understanding where this was going. Um, so yeah, is there anywhere that you'd say, hey, if you want to get, you know, the best orientation and you kind of feel like, all you're getting is from Instagram or like the media that that you're consuming on the news. You know, here's a really trusted third-party source. Absolutely. I mean, there is a host. If someone is obviously at the point where they're getting an education right now uh, or they're doing continuing education, there are, um, you know, great online courses and universities in person that have computer science and AI courses um, and even the, you know, these one-year certification programs that are online, um, there's other ones that if it's not for education purposes, just for your own general knowledge, right? Someone could go into whether it's, you know, Coursera or, uh, there's, um, Andrew Ning, um, you know, very well-known and, you know, he has a lot of classes, uh, they have a lot of classes online and, and I could send you some links to share, um, with your listeners, of course, as well. Um, there's, there's a, there's a ton of, you know, um, areas where someone can get, you know, better educated and webinars and a, a lot of it, if, you know, you know, it, 
there's a lot out there to, to, you know, Google and find, but I can send you some links as well to share with your listeners. I'd love that. Well, thank you so much. Kind of last question here in your, you know, the next, I don't know, as you look forward to the trajectory of where you're headed, what do you hope to see? And like, as a leader, as a person with your company, the world, like, do you have certain ambitions, goals, things that any of our listeners can listen to and sharing your vision and your dream, anything like that? So, um, Great, deep, deep question there. So, I, you know, I think what drives me is, you know, again, um, I'm, I'm all about, you know, you know, I want to live to you know, 150 years, right? And there's, you know, very famous people, I'm certainly not famous, like Mark Hyman, that talk about living a high quality life to 120 and 150. And, and there's, you know, others that are even more out there saying, you know, living longer. And so I'm in that camp, I want to, be able to live a high quality life or uh, if not to 120, you know, live an incredibly high quality life to, to 90, right? Instead of have being sick the last five, 10 years of your life. And so it, it drives me where my personal desire for myself and my family, for my loved ones coincides with the work I'm doing. Um, and again, cancer and heart disease being the top two causes of mortality. And, and as a, you know, from a personal fulfillment side on, on, on work, I, you know, I'm, looking to drive these companies to become as successful and large as possible to provide our digital health AI solutions uh, to people all over the world. I mean, if we can go into entire countries and healthcare systems and detect breast cancer six years earlier, detect heart disease, I mean, we're going to impact tens of millions of lives. And think of the additional years of life and, and what will be done by all those people that live longer uh, because of that. So that that's... Um, while I'm not a doctor practicing medicine to help people, that's kind of my way I think of you know being able to do good and 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 also uh, you know have help grow a successful business. That's amazing. That's such a stunning um, hope, desire, and come from. I really appreciate having you on. Thank you so much for coming on the show, and we'll put some links in the podcast when it goes out for people to find out more. And I'll have to connect with you. I'll find about helping my friend. I'm so grateful. Oh, absolutely, Lindsay. Uh, a pleasure being on, and, and the hour flew by. And um, <laughs> yeah, please, uh, please send me, uh, email me, and I'll uh, be happy to see what we can do for your friend. And um, and uh, looking forward to uh, uh, to listening to the podcast. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Thanks, Lindsay. Take care. Do you need help with the next steps for your financial plan? Think Capita. Capita is a financial network built around you. They have a team of financial advisors, CPAs, estate attorneys, Medicare providers, and social security experts to help you accomplish your financial goals. Call to schedule a complimentary consultation at 801-566-5058 or visit their website at www.capitafinancialnetwork.com. You can also check out their financial education podcast, The Financial Call, available on Apple, Google, Spotify, and YouTube.